How long, O Lord? Can you say that refrain that the psalmist wrote with me? How long, O Lord? It's been 11 days since emergency responders received calls directing them to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. 11 days since police swept through the sprawling school looking for the suspect who was shooting his classmates. 11 days since EMT workers patched up, consoled, and in 17 cases pronounced dead teachers and teens. 11 days since a seasoned FBI investigator unable to contain his emotions sobbed on national television. 11 days since those first responders who were just doing their job were confronted with the senseless violence of that day. How long, O oh Lord? It's been 11 days since parents received phone calls and texts from their children, whispered phone calls from students hiding in closets and under desks. Through tears, students whispered, there's a shooter on campus. I'm so scared. I love you, Mom. Tell Dad I love him, too. It's been 11 days since parents rushed to that school, eager for any piece of news, any sight of their child leaving that building. 11 days since parents strained to see if the clothing on the student leaving in the stretcher looked familiar. 11 days since parents clung to one another, some of them with cross-shaped ashes on their forehead. Parents who had just come from Ash Wednesday services where they were reminded of their fragile mortality, where a clergy person spoke these somber and prophetic words, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Where they were told, repent and believe in the gospel. How long, O oh Lord? It's been 11 days since teachers, in the midst of giving last minute instructions for that night's homework or distributing review sheets for tests the next day, since teachers and coaches heard code red, knowing full well that it was not a drill this time. There was an active shooter on campus. 11 days since teachers scrambled to put into action the plans that they had previously rehearsed in their heads. Turn off the lights, pull down the blinds, lock the doors, hide every student to the best of your ability. Be prepared to shield students with your body, with your own life, if the shooter enters the classroom. 11 days since teachers and coaches paid the ultimate price on behalf of their students. How long, oh Lord? It's been 11 days since students hid wherever they could, since they ran in terror 
since they watched friends and mentors lose their lives, since they exited the school with their hands on their heads or the student in front of them in a line, prepared to be questioned and searched, because in the chaos of the moment, the shooter could have hidden among them. 11 days since these children's lives were permanently, irrevocably altered, changed, and scarred. How long, O oh Lord? We categorize Psalm 13 as a psalm of lament. And when you heard the words of the psalmist that Marcus read, what emotions did you hear? Sadness and grief, yes, for sure. But frustration? God, how long will you forget me? Sarcasm? God, how long will you forget me? Forever? Or anger? God, look at me. Answer me. That's some pretty intense emotion. And can you believe the psalmist was talking to God that way? I polled some of you very anecdotally in a non-professional, non-scientific way. And here's what she told me. Sadness is the easiest emotion to share with God, quickly followed by joy. But anger, sharing anger and sarcasm or frustration with God, that, you agreed, is pretty hard to do. For many of us, I think my age and older, sharing strong emotions with anyone, especially anger, was something we were taught not to do as children. And that was when we were sharing it with people. Sharing it with God, no way. But maybe, just maybe, teaching that sharing strong emotions with God is better than taking those emotions out on other people. And here in the midst of the Psalms, we have the example of the psalmist railing at God. Where are you? Why have you abandoned me? I am in agony. God, how can you let my enemies win? So if the psalmist can approach God with such raw emotions, can't we? Scripture is our model for behavior. Aren't the psalms where we turn to for patterns of prayer and, and song in worship? If so, then can't we share our anger and our sadness and our frustration with God? How long, O oh Lord? I wonder what's been happening with all of you in the 11 days that have passed. What have you been thinking? What have you been praying? And what have you been doing? In the aftermath of this most recent school shooting, I've witnessed emotions and reactions that have been all over the map. We've shared the typical lines that we have heard before. Guns don't shoot people, people shoot people. Or it's too soon to talk about gun control legislation. We don't want to make legislation out of strong emotions. Don't blame mental health. Many people with mental health issues don't commit violent crimes. People shout these lines at each other, and they no longer care. They no longer even listen to what the other has to say. 
What have you been thinking? What have you been praying? And what have you been doing? Have you felt apathy? I think that may be the new emotion that I've seen the most. And frankly, it's the one that scares me the most. I called and checked in with my kids in college to see if they'd heard the news. They can be in a bubble and not really understand that the outside world is happening around them. And I wanted to check in and see if they were upset. And all I got was, yeah, I heard. I have a test I need to study for. I'll call you later, Mom. This world of mass shootings is something people in their age bracket have grown up around now. It's the new normal for them. Apathy is how they compartmentalize their emotions so they don't get overwhelmed and fall apart. And I think some of us fall back on that also. But how twisted is that? What have you been thinking? What have you been praying? And what have you been doing? And I am fully aware that talking about gun violence is very difficult. It's a very charged subject. I was tempted to throw out statistics about how other countries have instituted gun control legislation successfully and it solved many of their gun violence problems. I was tempted to talk about how the Brady Bill in the United States, named after James Brady, who was the press secretary for Ronald Reagan, who was injured when there was an attempt on Ronald Reagan's life. I was tempted to share about how that Brady Bill that required background checks for handgun purchases actually helped regulate the sales of handguns statistically. But due in part to massive legal battles funded by the NRA, the bill was ruled unconstitutional. I was tempted to tell you that the social pr principles of the United Methodist Church contains an entire section titled, Our Call to End Gun Violence. And that paragraph, it recommends specific actions and responses that United Methodists should endorse, including limits, restrictions, and background checks for gun purchases. But one of the things I've come to see about the issue of how we resolve gun violence is that the chance of me actually convincing you, if you feel differently than I do, is pretty slim. Facts and statistics are not going to be enough. You all are very, very smart people. And you can read and absorb that data if you want to. It's out there. But it's just not going to be enough. What have you been thinking? What have you been praying? And what have you been doing? So let me share something that might surprise you a bit. My father owned a number of rifles that he kept in a gun safe in our house. That gun safe had a lock, but I never once saw it in the locked position. The door was always ajar. I remember some of my older brothers and sisters going to gun safety classes sponsored by our local chapter of the NRA. My father wouldn't let anyone in our house touch a gun until he or she had passed that safety course. And my siblings entered contests by the NRA and came home with awards and prizes and trophies. Back in the day, this is what the NRA was known for. 
It's what the NRA used to stand for, gun safety. Most of my family had deer licenses every fall during deer hunting season. My father would occasionally take trips to Canada and he would return with a bear or a moose. And I remember my family proudly showing me the pictures of their kill. And I remember feeling so saddened by the glassy stares of those beautiful animals whose lives had been lost. I had classmates in school who were hunters. They knew if they did not successfully shoot a deer in deer season, their family wouldn't have meat that winter. They didn't have the choice to allow their feelings to dictate whether they hunted or not. And as my brothers got older, I can remember them disobeying my father and taking the guns out for target practice when my dad wasn't home. Between the unlocked gun safe and my brother's disobedience, I grew up with what I felt was a pretty flagrant disrespect for gun safety. And watching all this as a child who was a deep thinker made me decide I would never ever shoot a gun, much less own one or have one in my home. I respected that my family felt differently, but I also knew where I stood. There was room for middle ground, for us to feel differently, but still love one another. Today, it doesn't feel like there's any middle ground. Either you are anti-gun and anti-NRA or pro-Second Amendment. Zero middle ground. So what have you been thinking? What have you been praying? What have you been doing? Where does that leave us 11 days later? Do we continue to shout rhetoric and statistics and slogans at each other? Do we continue to watch people die? Do we continue to have lockdown drills in our schools teaching fear or worse, apathy to our children? Do we arm our teachers? Teachers who don't have enough resources to buy paper and pencils. Or can we do as the psalmist suggests and trust in God's faithful love to guide us where we need to go? We can trust God for sure, but that also implies that we will follow, that we will get up and do something, anything, but not sit back and count the days until this happens again. And now, who's going to guide us where we need to go? God, yes, but who will be the hands and feet of God in this situation? Who will speak God's truth about gun violence? Maybe it's the students from that high school in Parkland, Florida. Maybe we listen when they shout, rise up. Maybe we listen to their stories of fear and terror. Maybe we listen when children have to be the one telling adults, enough is enough. Why is your right to own a gun more important than our right to live? Maybe we listen when children try to lead us to some kind of middle ground. Can we trust in God's faithful love to guide us where we need to go? You and I may never agree about the Second Amendment, 
We may never agree whether fewer guns or more guns is the answer. But can we start by trying to meet somewhere in the middle? Can we start by agreeing that we can't tolerate any more school shootings? Can we start by accepting that we might not all get everything we want. We may have to compromise. But if I give a little and you give a little, maybe, just maybe, we can make some changes that will save some lives. Maybe, just maybe, we can interrupt the next disastrous cycle of shooting of children, denial of blame, and inaction by adults. Maybe we can trust in God's faithful love to guide us where we need to go. Amen.